on the believer's authority, and we'd like to continue with that. Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. It is without dispute, there's certainly disagreement, or a fail to recognize this in the modern day, the real most significant part, part of that is that he created man to operate as he does himself. He created man to exercise authority and utilize authority through his words, just as God had also. Now, tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'll skip down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now skip with me over to chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God's tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened unto you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Next verse says, according, he had, according as he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that leadeth us to glory and virtue. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, talking about through the word, that by these we may be partakers of the divine nature. The last phrase of that verse says, having escaped the corruption of the world that is in the world through lust. It's telling us what started sin. It's telling us what created the situation where spiritual death passed upon all men. And he calls it lust. It's lust that caused Eve to fall and to disobey God. Now, the word lust is used in sexual connotations uh, a number of times in the Bible. And so I think most everybody associates the word lust with just sexual sin or sexual temptation. But the word lust just simply means inordinate or improper desire. It doesn't mean just lusting where it comes to sex. Lust is a desire for anything more than a desire for God. And so when the serpent told Eve that eating of the forbidden fruit would make her to be as God knowing good and evil. That's something she wanted. It's something she desired. It's something that she had enough of a desire or developed enough of a desire in to disobey God. Let me get back over to, to where we were in Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to see some verses. Let's reread some things. 
Verse 5, it says, for God does know. Here's what the, the devil uh, tempted her with. And notice the devil didn't have access to the earth without a physical body. He had to take over the body of a serpent. Because it's man that has been given authority on the earth. He had no entrance whatsoever until he usurped the body of the serpent and operated through him. And he said, God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. Again, verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it looks like the Bible's telling us she never really paid attention to it until now. But when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree that was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. She developed a desire, an inordinate and an improper desire for what God told her she should not have. Now, here's the question that we need to uh, ask, or at least one of them, concerning the fall. And that is, was God trying to keep anything from her? See, here's the place where the devil always tries to, to work on your thinking and my thinking. He tries to reason with us to tell us or to tempt us or to influence us to think that the rules that are in the Bible and the things that the Bible says what we should do and what we should not do, they're causing you to miss out on something. Well, in this case... God did want Eve to miss out on something, but not anything that was good for her. He wanted her to miss out on the things that would bring heartache and destruction to their lives. We're that way with our kids, aren't we? We want our kids to miss out on all the things that the world has for them that will lead them to destruction and rob from them. What do our kids think? They think we don't want them to have any fun. But God was trying to protect his creation. Now I want you to look with me and see some similarities to some things. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You know that Lucifer was the name that Satan had before the fall, before his fall, before his rebellion against God. So it says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee narrowly shall look upon thee. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of all of his prisoners? I want you to notice that the Bible is talking about Satan and the condition that he began in when he was Lucifer. He was given a place of authority. Look with me over to Ezekiel chapter 28. Let's see some other things that the Bible says about him. Beginning in verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus 
and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden. So he's not talking to a man. He's talking to Satan or speaking about him. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Apparently he had something to do with music or worship. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He's talking about things that no man has ever participated in. But he's letting us know that Satan had a position of authority. He had a position where he was responsible to God for others under his charge. Verse 15, it says, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled thee, the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but over in uh, Isaiah 14, there were five things that Satan said he willed to do. I will exalt my throne above the heavens. I will be like God. Now God's going to say five things about what he's going to do to him, to Satan. Therefore will I cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. By reason of thy brightness, I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities. By the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. And all they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. I want you to notice a couple of uh, verses, particularly the wording. In verse 16, see the word merchandise. And in verse 18, the word traffic, those are the same Hebrew words. And it's, uh, it's a little difficult to, to uh, um, translate because it seems that the, uh, the uh, translators did not understand the history of the earth. This word merchandise or mer word traffic means business. It's translated as commerce. It's translated as trading in other translations of the scripture it's telling us that there was one thing that caused Satan to sin there was one original sin for him it says by the merchandise or the traffic by the multitude of merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence and thou hast sinned the thing that led Satan to sin Lucifer to sin and to fall and to rebel against God was a lust for money Now, where it says that the, the merchandise and the trading and the business and the commerce, whichever word you want to use, when it says those things took place, it says, it's telling us that there was something that Satan was in charge of. There was something that, that Lucifer was leading and had a certain degree of authority over. It's talking about trading with the nations. It's talking about the commerce of nations. 
It's talking about something that happened before the Genesis creation account. It's telling us that Satan brought the cities or created the cities, made the cities into wildernesses. Well, he's destroying a lot of things here on the earth, but he's not making cities wilderness. It's talking about something that happened before God recreated the earth and put man in the middle of it. You know how um, uh, over in uh, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. That's always perplexed me, or used to anyway, because I know that there are a lot of sins that don't have anything to do with love of money. So how can the love of money be the root of all evil? I think it could well be translated the love of money is the origin of all evil. Because that's what Satan, Lucifer, was caught up in. Because of who he was, because of his brightness, because of his trafficking, he began to operate, uh, other translations say things like, he began to operate sinfully against those that he had business dealings with. Something to that effect. He wanted more. And it brought him to the place where he said that he would exalt himself above God. Now here's what I want you to see out of this. Notice the similarities between Satan's sin and the temptation that he brought to Eve. It seems to me that if either one of them had known their place with God, they could have avoided rebelling against God in, in Satan's case and falling into sin in, in Eve's. She was made like God. She was as much like God as you could be. What more did she want? Well, the temptation deceived her into thinking there was something more for her to have that God was withholding from her. Anything that you desire more than God is something that you lust for. And what caused or what happened as a result of the fall? Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 and see again, read again what the Bible says happened and what took place. Verse 6 again, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to make them and a tree to be desired to the eyes. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place this morning. Let me start again with verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree that was desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Notice the next phrase in verse 7. And the eyes of them both were opened. The eyes of them both were opened. And they saw they were naked and they were ashamed. So they tried to fashion clothes for themselves. The eyes of them both were opened. Now let me ask you this. What were their eyes closed to originally? What does it mean when it says the eyes of them both were opened? The Bible tells us that, that certain things happen, certain things change with the fall. They did die that day, just like God said. But it wasn't physical death, it was spiritual death. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, 
And so the de- death passed upon all men. That was the beginning or the entrance of spiritual death. And that spiritual death that then began to take hold of mankind changed a lot of things. James chapter 3 tells us about how the tongue changed. It tells us about how the tongue is a deadly poison. No man can tame it. And it's set on fire by the, uh, the, it sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Well, that's not the way God created the tongue to be. When God made man, looked everything over and said, this is very good, he is in effect saying that things are perfect. Well, then the tongue would have to be perfect too. But at the fall, man lost control of the tongue. And this is significant because of the fact that since God made man to have authority on the earth, had created man to operate as he, God, did, even in creation, then the will of the man was exercised by the words that he spoke. So if he's lost control of his tongue, he cannot effectively exercise his authority, at least in a godly manner. But other things had to change too. Where it says their eyes were opened, it means that there was a change that took place in what they saw. But this word, eyes are opened, the phrase eyes being opened or what they saw, is used throughout Scripture in different ways. For example, the Bible says that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Well, the word sight there is a summary of the five physical senses. It's not just talking about we walk by things we see or shouldn't walk by things that we see when it contradicts the word. It's talking about we shouldn't walk by anything that we feel too, isn't it? If it contradicts the word. See, if their eyes were open to the physical realm, if the eyes were open to the, to the, the fact that they were naked, then that means since nothing changed, as we've said before, it's not like clothes fell off of them. But if they weren't aware of it before, then they must have had access to see something else. Let me approach it from a different way. We've just seen what God commanded them to do. He commanded them to dress and keep the garden. In other words, exercise authority over the the, uh, earth, as Genesis 1.26 says. And they were supposed to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we know that in Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says without faith it's impossible to please God. Right? Without faith it's impossible to please God. Here's a question for you. Why is there not one mention of the word faith or one bit of instruction given to man before the fall concerning faith? God never changes. If it's impossible to please God without faith now, then it was always impossible to please God without faith. So why is there no instruction about faith? You can't say that it wasn't important because Jesus taught a lot about faith. He never changes either. So if faith is important now, why was there no instruction given to Adam and Eve about faith? Folks, there's a very easy answer for that. And that is, you don't need faith for what you can see. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Let me ask it a different way. When did the unseen realm start becoming unseen? 
Why would it make any sense for us in any way whatsoever for God to create the earth or literally recreate the earth? Take it from a position of being without form and void, which I personally, you decide, you judge this for yourself. But personally, I believe that's what it's talking about in um, Ezekiel chapter 28 about made the world a wilderness. I believe Satan was the one through his actions and through being cast out of heaven when he was rebelling against God with a third of the angels. I believe that's what caused the earth to be without form and void. There was something here before then. What? We don't know. But what we do know from the scripture is that it includes merchandise or commerce or business. Folks, there's something you need to know, and that is God is not a socialist. He's a capitalist. He gave talents in different measures to his children, and he expected them to do something with it. And he rewarded them based on the merit of what they did. The guy that had five turned it into ten. The guy that had two turned it into five. The guy that had one wrapped it in a napkin and buried it. The only one he was displeased with was the one that buried his talent. God's very much a capitalist. And there was some kind of system here on the earth before Adam and Eve over which Satan exercised some authority or some degree of authority in what the Bible describes to us about him. So again, when did the unseen realm start being unseen? Why would it make any sense for God to create man an exact duplicate in kind of himself? The greatest of his creation, he didn't make anything else in his image. Man was what he made in his image. Why put man here, give him authority over the earth, and then hide yourself from him? He didn't. Folks, I firmly believe that the Bible tells us that when their eyes were opened to the physical realm, their spiritual eyes were shut to the spirit realm. Let me show you another example that's similar to this, only in reverse. Look with me over to uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the story, but basically it comes down to this. It tells us about Elisha warning the king of Israel against the king of Syria's plans. And he did that several times. God would reveal to him what the, the Israel's enemies were going to do, and he would warn the king, and the king would prepare himself and avoid the attacks of the enemy. And so the enemy king decides that he's going to go capture Elisha. Now, folks, the Bible shows how stupid people are. What is the king of Syria going to think? This prophet is shown by God of the things that I'm going to do, but I know I'll go catch him. <laughs> like God wouldn't show him that. So anyway, this starts taking place, and Elisha's servant sees how many of the enemy armies are arrayed against him, just he and Elisha. And Elisha answers in verse 16, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. Elisha answered his servant and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. 
And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Now let me ask you a question. Did these chariots just show up when his eyes were opened, or were they there all the time? Well, they had to have been there all the time because Elisha knew they were there. How did he know they were there? Did he see them? We don't have any indication that he did. But he was sure of what was there. So here's my question. How is it, if God doesn't want man to see the spirit realm, then why did he grant Elisha's request to open the young man's eyes? If it's wrong or if it's contrary to the will of God for man to be aware of or to see over into the spirit realm, then why did he provide works of the Holy Ghost that allow that very thing to happen? Discerning of spirits is seeing over into the spirit realm. God made man on the earth who before the fall could see the spirit realm as easy as he could the natural realm. And as I said, faith deals with the unseen. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You don't need faith for what you can see. In the beginning, that's what they saw. They could see into the spirit realm. Just as easy as they could see into the physical realm. But they lost that. What does the Bible tell us that one of the main themes of the scripture, especially the New Testament, is? Well, Paul prayed for the Ephesian church that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. That their spiritual eyes would be opened. That their spiritual eyes would be opened. Folks, we see from the scripture that there's a lot of things happening around us. This room is full of angels. I know that for a fact because I brought mine with me. (laughs) You did too, whether you know it or not. This room is full of angels. Some people might say, oh, but the devil's there too. What of it? (laughs) And these are the kinds of things that the Bible tells us we should develop in, develop in knowledge about. So that we are aware of spiritual things and spiritual forces and spiritual plans of God. And not just the physical realm around us. The Bible says of Moses in Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 27. It says, Moses endured by seeing him who is invisible. By seeing him who is invisible. God wants us to see the invisible. Whether it's literally see it. Or just understand it. From what the Bible tells us. He wants us to be more confident of the unseen realm. Than we are the realm that we can see with our physical eye. And that's what the Bible says pleases God. We get so caught up in what we can see and how we feel. But the things that we feel, the things that we can see with our physical or natural eye, all those things are temporary. And Jesus said through this uh, force called faith, 
believing in the truth of the, the scripture about the unseen realm, Jesus told us that faith would change anything and everything in the natural realm. The Bible talks about in Revelation, one of the things that happens right at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation. Revelation chapter 6, verse 14. It says that God peels the, the sky back as a scroll. For what purpose? So that man can see the spiritual realm. God's never hidden from anybody. And he certainly didn't make the earth in such a way that he would be hidden from man. In both Lucifer's case and Eve's case, if they had known their place with God, then they could have fulfilled God's plan without detouring into sin. What does that say to you and me? That says to me that we need to know our place with God too. And that we can avoid the destruction that the devil wants to bring in our lives and attempts to bring into our lives. By deceiving us and trying to influence us to misuse our authority through what we believe and what we say. We can avoid every bit of that by knowing who we are. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul prayed beginning in verse 15. Wherefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And love to all the saints. Cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. Here's a prayer that Paul prayed continuously for the church. Well, if it was good enough for the Ephesians, it's good enough for us too. What did you pray, Paul? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about understanding. He's talking about coming to the realization. Not just mentally agreeing with, but coming to the realization from your heart, from your spirit. The reality of who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. In other words, spiritual understanding so that we live according to the unseen realm rather than the physical realm alone. So he prays that God would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of our understanding, this word understanding is the word spirit. It's translated it that way, uh, translated as such in other translations, many others. That the eyes of your understanding, your eyes of your spirit being enlightened or opened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. He wants you to know what God has done for you. He wants you to know what Jesus provided for you. He wants you to know what God's plan for your life is and he wants you to know the greatness of the power of God that dwells in you. Now, folks, I would submit to you if, if a person comes to the place of maturity in those things, the understanding of those things, there's nothing the devil can do to stop you. Doesn't mean he won't try. 
but to know who we are in Christ, to know the authority that we've been given, to know what God's plan for us is, and he's got a different plan for you than he has for me. So I don't think this is just talking about the plan of the church in general, but also specifically about what God has for you to do. So if we come to understand those things along with the power of God that's been given to us and indwells us in the person of the Holy Spirit, what can the devil do? If you know who you are, if you know what belongs to you, if you know what you're supposed to do and you know you have the power to get it done, where's the work of the devil? He doesn't disappear, but he sure stops being a factor in your life. Have you ever noticed that Jesus didn't spend a whole lot of time with the devil when he was here on the earth? The longest experience he had was when he was tempted after the 40 days of fasting. And that lasted long enough for three temptations and the devil took out, took out running. Anytime Jesus came in contact with the devil, he exercised authority over him, cast the devil out of whoever it was that he was influencing him uh, that was, had influence over him. And then the devil left. I think that should be an example to us, don't you? I don't understand people giving so much time and attention to the devil. Oh, but Pastor Mike, the devil's been after me. What of it? The Bible keeps talking about how the devil left Jesus for a season. He always answered him with the word. He always used his authority over him. And every time the devil turned tail and run. Why is that? Well, one thing you know for sure, Jesus knew his place with God. He knew who he was. He knew what he was sent to do. And he knew the power that was available to him to do it. You've got an example of Eve and Lucifer who both want more than what they thought they had. And it leads them into sin, it leads them into destruction. But Jesus, on the other hand, was just the opposite. Philippians chapter 2, around verse 5 or 6, says that Jesus knew his place with God before ever coming to the earth and didn't hold on to that place he had with God, but instead put him into the hands of his Father to bring forth and to complete the plan of redemption. Eve and, and Lucifer didn't know their place with God, so they tried to get something that they couldn't have and brought destruction on themselves. Jesus knew who he was with God and was willing to sacrifice that for the sake of mankind, you and me. It seems that when you come to know your place with God, being a servant to other people or serving others becomes part of the equation. So Paul prays that the eyes of our spirit, our understanding would be enlightened or opened, that we may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who do believe according to the working of his mighty power. The same power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above 
not just a little bit over, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. He put all things under his feet. He's the head. The church is the body. Where are the feet? Feet aren't in the head. Wouldn't that be a weird looking thing? The feet are in the body. So that means he's put all things under you. You're a part of the family of God, aren't you? You're a part of the body of Christ then. He's put all things under you. And gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Let's go into chapter 2. He's still talking about the same thing. It says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you hath he quickened. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead raised you too. That same power that made Jesus alive from the dead. I'm talking about spiritual death. Made you alive from spiritual death too. Now we can't see these things with our natural eye. So we're going to have to rely on the truth of the word to reveal to us what's in the unseen realm. Verse 1 again, and you have the quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. Skip down to verse 6. The next several verses really just talk about an explanation or an expansion on what he said. And you have the quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 6, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when God raised Jesus, he raised you. When God quickened Jesus, he quickened you. Now what does this say about our place with God? It says we're joint heirs with Christ. God doesn't have favorite children. He's no respecter of persons. He loves you as a part of his family just as much as he loves Jesus. Jesus was just as spiritually dead as you were, not because of any wrongdoing on his part, but because death was laid upon him to pay the price for it for you and me. But he was just as spiritually dead as you for a different reason, but just as spiritually dead as you and me. And so when the power of God raised Jesus from the dead, brought him back to life from spiritual death, spiritual death just being separation from God, he brought you to life too. And when he raised Jesus up to seat him in his right hand in the heavenly places, he raised you up too. You have exactly the same place. You have exactly the same life with the Father God as Jesus does it. That's hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? That's why we need our spiritual eyes to be opened. We want to rank things. We want to say, well, it was Jesus, though. Jesus is the first. Jesus is the preeminent. And that's true. But most of us take that a little further in our thinking. You've got Jesus up here, and I'm right down here somewhere. But the Bible says Jesus is here, and you're here. Doesn't look that way to us, does it? That's why we have to rely on the Bible to tell us what's in the unseen realm. 
And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 7. That or so that in the ages to come. In the ages to come. Do you know there are ages yet to come? Now we don't know a whole lot about these ages to come. But we can look back in the Bible and find the ages that have been. We're in the middle of the church age right now. That's been 2,000 years so far. I'm not sure how much further it goes, but the Bible talks about ages to come. Heaven is a difficult concept for us to understand because most of us think that when we get to heaven, then we'll wind up floating around on clouds and having angels peel grapes for us or something. (laughs) And that's eternity. That's heaven. But God's got ages planned. Now, why would he have planned ages and included us in those? Heaven is going to be better than any of us have even imagined it to be. Heaven's not going to be a place where you don't have anything to do. Heaven's going to be a place where we have purpose, where we'll be carrying out the will of God in some means or manner. Now, how much further it goes than that I don't know. I just exhausted the ability of my little peanut brain. (laughs) But so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It's telling us that it's going to take God ages to show us how good he is and what all we have because we're in Christ. What does that mean? I don't know. But I believe it to be true. So what's our place? Our place is one with God through Jesus. Our place is the same life that Jesus has himself. Our place is the same seat at the right hand of the Father that Jesus has himself. Our place is full of power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The greatest display of God's power was the resurrection of Jesus. And that's the power that dwells in you. That's what you've got. No wonder Paul prayed that our eyes would be open to this stuff. But again, notice the theme. That your eyes will be opened to the truth, the reality of the unseen realm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what you've done for us through your great plan of redemption, which was fulfilled and accomplished by Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, for quickening us, making us alive with Jesus we thank you for exalting us to your right hand seating us together with Christ in heavenly places we thank you for the power that we have Father that resides in us now 
to accomplish every work that you have in store for us. We thank you that who you, whom you call, you equip, you empower, you enable. So we pray for ourselves, Father, even as Paul prayed. We thank you for giving us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Open the eyes of our spirits, Lord. Open the eyes of our understanding that we may know the hope of your calling and the riches of the glory that belongs to us as children of God. All that Jesus did for us and all that belongs to us now. And Father, that we would know, see and know the mighty power that works in us as believers. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Father, open our eyes to the unseen realm. Open our eyes to the riches of the unseen realm that Jesus purchased for us with his precious blood. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see, that we may live up and to be exactly who Jesus paid the price for us to be. We ask for these things, Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Folks, there's more to us than meets the eye. You're more than who you think you are. Thank God for the word. Amen. Well, let's all stand together. Don't forget, because of the Mother's Day holiday today, we won't be having healing school at 6. But we'll pick up with our regular schedule of services next week. Have a great day. Call your mom. Tell her you love her. And you're dismissed.